Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin, sticking with a familiar theme here on today's show because, of course, we know our job here at Cracked Rackets is to prepare all of you listeners for the many impending events on the ATP and WTA calendars. We know that 2021 Olympics right around the corner. Of course, after that, we'll get into the North American Hardcourt Summer Sea events such as the Rogers Cup, the West and Southern Open, of course, the culmination of it all, the 2021 U.S. Open, all right around the corner. And of course, here on this podcast over the past week, we have tried our best to prepare all of you listeners for that action, of course, with clay court season, grass court season, both officially in the books. Now feels like a good time to take stock of where we're at in the 2021 calendar. And of course, on last week's show, we focused on the women. We talked about our five most interesting WTA players to watch with David Kane. That was a fantastic two-part podcast that if you have not, I very much recommend you go check out. David is locked in to the WTA Tour as anyone out there on the beat, and it's a fantastic in-depth conversation. I know all of you listeners will enjoy. I know with that said, you're certainly going to enjoy today's podcast as well as we do that same exercise, but for the ATP Tour and with our friend Racket Magazine contributor Gary Nathan. Now, if you are a tennis fan who came of age in the 2010s, in particular the back half of that 2010s decade, I promise you have read something Gary has written in his Friday columns for Racket Magazine, one of my favorites to read each and every week. Sincerely, you will become a more informed, more entertained tennis fan if you start reading them. Easy plug there for Gary. You'll hear me express my fondness for his work and multiple times throughout the uh, impending conversation we are going to have on today's show. But again, he joined me. He joins me on today's podcast to name the five most interesting ATP players to watch this summer. We talk about guys like Rublev, Shapovalov, Karatsev, Rude, Umber. Same exercise again. It was one uh, player ranked in the top 10, two from 11 to 30, one wild card, and then one player under the age of 21. It is a fantastic conversation that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, before we get to that, i got to quickly remind all of you that the reason these pods are possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends at Turner Tennis. You already know all about Turner Grip, so I'll simply say to join the Turner family, email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you. They'll hook you up with discounted college pricing. They'll hook you up with some free samples, treat you all like family, and again, you're just going to look better on the court if you 
you've got that iconic trademarked blue tourniquet color on the butt of your racket. Join the Turner family today by contacting sales at uniquesports.com or calling 800-554-3707. With all of that said, here are the five most interesting ATP players to watch this summer with Racket Magazine's Gary Nathan, Westoff, World Podcast. Let's get to today's show. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today, someone you absolutely must be reading if you want to be the most well-informed fan in the business. You may know his work from Defector Media. You may know his work every Friday at Rack Magazine. I know him as my friend Gary Nathan. Gary, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Alex. Looking forward to uh, talking summer hardcore. Oh, it is my pleasure to have you. And sincerely, I I would say, you know, I like to consider myself witty, but as a writer in the tennis industry, I don't know if there's a wittier person than you. And sincerely, uh, from as someone else who likes to cover it from a similar perspective, do you see the humor in tennis? Is that what brings the appeal to you? Is that I feel like it is the most unintentionally comedic sport in the business. And I think your writing does a better job of reflecting that than perhaps anyone else in the business. You're too kind. Uh, I, I think there are definitely a couple Twitter accounts that uh, I can only bow down to. Um, definitely some GIF accounts that are capturing the humor in a way that, that words cannot. But uh, I definitely think that it's a sport that leaves a lot on the table <laughs> in terms of recognizing its own uh, comedic value. And I feel like uh, a very online and irreverent fan base is kind of left to its own devices and produces a lot of good stuff um and i i I do think a sport that kind of has the reputation that tennis has can only benefit from leaning into all that and uh you know developing a rich meme economy as as they say in the industry (laughs) Uh, that's a fair way of putting i feel like tennis twitter has a strong presence now i'm absorbed in that bubble because it's part of my job But the tennis Twitter community is very outspoken. You will get your various pockets, right? The big three debates. Obviously, there's the Serena Army. There is an account dedicated to fans of Misaki Doi. 
Like, yeah, yeah, what are yeah. we doing? That's the best account in the business. What are we doing here? I agree. I feel like tennis has yet to double down on some of its quirkiness. And it, yeah. I feel like there's definitely a pathway to doing that moving forward. For sure. For sure. I, I, I think, like, anytime you tap into, you know, the tennis tour sphere, you, you, there's, like, a lot of weird passion about obscure topics, which is generally the sign of a very healthy fandom. Um if you've had a critical mass of people watching this stuff, some of them should be getting it down some strange rabbit hole. I definitely feel like <laughs> that's what's happening. I, I remember when I was writing at a previous site um, and just sort of getting started in tennis blogging, um, I wrote a number of posts about Yoshido and Shioka. And this is maybe 2017 when he, he was kind of breaking out. And writing about a player... Um, you know, well outside of the top 50 at that point uh, for a national kind of mainstream sports audience was a very strange sensation. I felt like I had written the most words about him in English language uh, that could be found on the internet at that point. Um, but I, I was lucky to have editors who were, you know, very encouraging of supporting whatever happened to be interested at the time and uh, kind of tried to lock in that lesson and, and go from there. Because as you know well, like the particular players you might be interested in at any given time may not be the ones who tend to dominate discussions. Like mm-hmm. people develop all kinds of weird fascinations. No, absolutely. I I say every podcast, I will do five minutes on Federer, I'll do five minutes on Oscarota if need yeah. be. Like <laughs> there are that many different interesting characters and different actors throughout the, the game, whether it's coaches, players, media members, whatever it may be. There really are so many different stories you can dive into uh, in the tennis world. And again, I think you do about as well of a job as anyone in doing so. Now, uh, again, you bring up these players. Why I wanted to have you on the podcast today is to name our five most interesting ATP players heading into the hardcourt summer. But before we do that, I've been throwing these questions at all of our guests because, again, we're trying to preview the summer. And undeniably, the biggest storyline of this summer is Novak Djokovic's pursuit yeah. of history, both at the Olympic Games and he is locked in. He sent the video and, of course, Djokovic getting better at better in social media. That's the missing yeah. piece for him. If yeah, he gets yeah, too good yeah. at that, it's like if everyone starts liking Djokovic again, I don't know what we're going to do as tennis fans. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's the storyline of the summer. Him, you know, trying to fill his mantle, capture that one missing piece, the singles gold medal, also yeah. pursuing history, trying to become the first man since Laver to win the calendar grand slam. I'm curious where you stand on this because it's a mixed bag. Some people say, you know, what is more valuable, filling out that mantle, getting that Olympic gold medal, or jeopardizing your pursuit of history, going to Japan, playing these Olympic games, and just not getting the requisite rest perhaps you need heading into the U.S. Open. I'm going to ask you, you also have brilliant hair. It's our first time meeting, but I think you have a good approximation of Novak Djokovic's hair, so I'm going to ask you to put on his brain as well. You're Novak Djokovic in this situation. What are you doing here? What are your thoughts on just in general his pursuit of history? Yeah, I I just think, you know, part of me was kind of thinking about in terms of, you know, pick your battles, conserve your energy for the things that are most important to you. And by his own admission, and, you know, Goran has given quotes this effect as well everyone in Novak's camp knows that winning slams is what's most important to him and you know 
he's he's kind of bought into the like rings <laughs> narrative of uh you know tennis goathood which i uh more than understand i understand why everyone seeks out these these particular titles but he's also winning these slams by s- such apparently comfortable margins that i don't necessarily feel like him spending these two weeks to go play in tokyo and you know probably get acclimated to the same kind of hard court that he's going to be playing on at the open um is is detrimental to that goal um and you know he's gonna he's probably gonna win there and then he'll uh probably just come to new york and and win here too so uh, if if i'm him i am feeling you know i'm 34 and 3 on the season um you know, one of my losses is to uh, Aslan Karatsev on clay. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the season I've put together. The, the distance that separates me from the rest of the field. And I'm not too worried about picking and choosing my battles. I, I go into all of them pretty confident that I can win. And, you know, if... if it also is worth mentioning just, you know, in terms of format, it's it's not as grueling as a slam. Like, mm-hmm. they'll be playing six matches, and uh, should be able to just keep his summer moving after that. So. Mm-hmm. No, and, you know, the most recent Olympics, 2012, he loses to Del Potro, was at yeah. the semifinals, I want to say, and he, mm-hmm. or, and he, or bronze medal match, whatever, and he destroys his rackets. And then 2016, maybe one of five times in my life I've seen Novak Djokovic lose a match where he actually played his best tennis that first mm-hmm. round against Juan Martin Del Potro. He leaves yeah. the courts crying. And that was – and I mean the emotion on Djokovic's face. He, you can see how much this means to him in particular. He's always been upfront about how much it means for him to represent his home country. I mean Novak Djokovic is the economy of Serbia. It's like yeah. it's him, it's Jokic, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's – no, it's – I mean you can understand. I, I agree with you. It's like I – if it wasn't with all of the regulations of the of the Olympics, yeah. having to go through all the testing and the lack of fans and just everything that's going to be in that bubble, yeah. I would agree with you. What's the difference between playing in Japan and playing in Cincinnati really in the warm-up mm-hmm. of the U.S. Open? Is there that big of a difference? You would argue no. But because of all of the additional steps, because of how emotionally draining the Olympic Games may be, yeah. Um, that that's the difference. Of course, the flip side is right now, Novak Djokovic is the best player in the world, the unequivocal world number one, the unequivocal favorite entering the Olympics. Will we be able to say the exact same thing in 2024? I mean, the guy eats grass, so like maybe, yeah. <laughs> but like it, I've been saying this on pause, but like you look at his rivals, Murray, metal hips, Nadal, bald. Federer, (laughs) close to retirement. Like, meanwhile, Djokovic looks the same. He plays the same. It's like he acts the same. Yeah. It's Nova. It's I can't even think of a comparison for an age thirty-four. Like I, I mean, I was big Bill Simmons guy growing up. I read the book of basketball. He talks about like the Michael Jordan one point oh, two point oh, three point oh, four point oh. Like that is the closest comparison I can think of Novak Djokovic. Is you have like the 2009 Australian Open, really young, innocent, yeah. doing impressions version. Yeah. You have the 2011 version, which is just like, what is this? I yeah. have never seen this in tennis before. You have 2015, which is like, yep, this is him at his best. Maybe the goat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, <laughs> exactly. And now we have this version of him where it's like, where it's just like my brain breaks. I, yeah. I don't know what to think anymore. 
I think that's a good framing of it, especially because I feel like with a lot of the discussion of historic players, there is, you know, there's a lot of gratitude for how long they've been able to keep it up. But I think in the appreciation of these, let's say, like late career seasons, um, a sense of the absolute skill level of how they were at their peak is lost. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as we're appreciating, say, you know, 2017, Roger and Rafa, I, I found myself uh, in an attempt to just snap out of it, to just watching, you know, watching these guys actually at their physical peaks and remembering what that kind of tennis <laughs> looks like. Yeah. And while they were obviously dominating the tour, I understood that they had kind of these higher registers in, in the past. And I, I really am not confident that's the case, or at least to the same extent with Novak. I really feel like he is kind of approaching his top level even this deep into his career um i, I don't feel like the drop off is that big if at all um, no, the numbers would suggest as much just to add to that you look at yeah. his hold percentage here this year right now novak djokovic uh i believe fifth on the atp tour in hold percentage he's holding serve 87.2 percent of the time that's the third uh fourth best clip excuse me of his career a percent and a half above his career average. He's breaking serve 34.4% of the time. That's the only yeah. seasons that trail are 2011 and 2015. So yeah. you're like, all right, and those are his two best seasons. So it's like, right. all right, that's the best, second best. Are you like, this is the third? It's crazy yeah. to think. And it's like, he's 34. He's 34 <laughs> and he's doing this. It's a joke. Yeah. And he, he's 34. And, you know, I think the, uh, another generation of, really talented players has just kind of rounded into form Mm -hmm. over the last year or so and he's still just kind of holding them at bay uh very easily and physically he's incredible i think at this point of his career i'm just most stunned by the the mentality he brings (laughs) two sets down and he's confident he's still going to win the match um just just an unbelievable season to watch unfold no, it, it's it's been really really special. It's added to the delight. I again, we're going to get into our exercise. The one other thing I want to bring up uh, on the flip side is on uh, the women's side. Obviously, at Wimbledon, we saw Ash Barty capture the title, and you for Reckon Magazine wrote Ash Barty mows the field. Again, if people haven't re- uh, read it yet, absolutely should. I made this comparison on a different podcast, but you wrote the article, so I got to run it by you. Her numbers right now, she's winning about 85% of her matches. She's played 10 total events, four titles, five finals, eight quarterfinals in those 10. That looks an awful lot like a prime Venus Williams. And, of course, the most notable thing of a prime Venus Williams, as good as she was, she was never that definitive number one player in the women's Mm -hmm. rankings Mm -hmm. because you had a Serena or an Ennin or a Kleisters or a Davenport or whomever it may be uh, just ascend above Venus and show a slightly higher ceiling is Ash Barty the modern day Venus or is she that dominant force we've been waiting for in the women's game that everyone's going to be chasing the next few years? Yeah. I mean, I love, I love the comparison just, you know, across, you know, frames and play styles. Well, honestly, the style is a little more similar than, than just the frames. Um, but you know, big servers, a lot of feel in the front of the court. I, I, it's been a real joy to just watch, already thrive uh this season i do and you saw a little bit of it in the wimbledon run i do feel that there's you know a little bit of 
inconsistency in the high pressure matches. Um, I don't want to go in on like a, a silly choking narrative. Obviously, he just <laughs> won a major and is having a crazy season uh, where she's consistently going deep in tournaments. But I, I I wonder about her ability to kind of stick around near the top of the game at the top at the number one spot. And um, you know, I think she's quite frankly put to rest all the skepticism about whether she had quote unquote earned that ranking. You know, given how sticky points were during the pandemic, um, just based on her performance this season once she's come back. But longevity at the top, I feel like I'll believe it when I see it. Um, it's it's proved pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Field is deep. Um, a lot of competitive players and the kind of dominance we haven't seen on that tour for for quite some time. So I probably bet against it happening until you know we get to see how the rest of the season goes. Your disregard of superficial narratives may be my favorite part of your writing. We're just like, no, nah, we're we're discounting that. We're like, come on, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna let a subjective analysis like influence our thoughts here. It's just you know, again, I mean, sometimes you, I'm not saying there's no room for subjectivity, but you're like, yeah. again, the choking narrative, no time for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's hard because they are all getting at something that you know we do see with our eyes and we're kind of searching for language to um you know express but you know we we watched the second set of that of that final um it did feel like something that could have been over in straights had she kind of you know drilled down and uh served it out in the in that second set but um you know, it's hard to win Wimbledon. <laughs> it's 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 hard to win Wimbledon when grass is your favorite surface, and maybe you feel like this is the tournament that you've built so many expectations around uh, in your career. So, you know, I was very happy to see her do it, just as a, someone who enjoys her game. Um, but yeah, I, season over season dominance is obviously something that um, we haven't seen in a little, little while. So let's, let's see how this goes. Venus got four slams in her five-year prime. If we say Barty's got two through the first two years of her five, does that number feel right? Like yeah, two more. Yeah. That that definitely sounds right to me. Yeah, I, like, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see. I I would be surprised if another one happened on clay, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I could definitely see another Wimbledon and then and then a hard court. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. the story of the decade at some point, if she doesn't get it, will be will Ashley Barty win Australia? It'll get a little mm-hmm. Murray-ish. You can yes. feel that coming yes. down the road. And by the way, that's going to be a great 2025 column. I think you're going to yeah. write it so well. <laughs> so I'm very, very much looking forward to it. But with all of that said, again, those are two of your biggest stories heading into this summer. Uh, one of the other things we want to talk about is talk about some of the players we will be watching this summer as well. Yeah. I did a similar exercise with David Kane on the WTA tour, what we're going mm-hmm. to be doing today is naming the five ATP players we will be watching most closely. Now, again, there were rules to this shit. Uh, you know, top 10 player. Hey, one of them has to be a top 10 player. Uh, one of them, uh, two of them, ranked uh, 11 through 30 one of them under the age of 21 the other pick a wild card pick you can go any direction you want but yeah let's start at the top because with Wimbledon in mind your first pick I know uh, is Denis Shapovalov and my first pick is Andre Rublev 
And I think those are two guys you can talk about in a similar uh, vein because when you look at both of them, what is the thing that jumps off to you? It's the power tennis power, that they can yeah. play, right? It's just yeah. when they are clicking, they take the racket out of your hand. Yeah. We'll start on the Shapovalov side because obviously lefty, a little bit younger. I want to say what he turns 22 years old this year. If he had, if he's not 22, I think he's a 99. Um, that sounds right. Let me double check. Yeah, I believe uh, yeah. currently number ten, uh, obviously right. in the in the rankings that ties his career high. He's coming off of the first Grand Slam semifinal of his career, and if we're being honest, he outplayed Djokovic through yeah. all of the match, not just yeah. set one, all of the match. And five four thirty all the missed forehand approach. That's the glaring thing. But yeah, like, he's gonna be. I'm gonna be thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But he can he can come out of that Wimbledon. And without getting laughed at, could say to his coaches, I think I outplayed Novak today. What do you guys think? And they could yeah. be like, it's like minus two or three points. You really did, Dennis. Yeah. So he flashed that ceiling. The floor is a little bit lower. When it's bad for Shapovalov, it's, it's not the best. It's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. But, but why is he a guy you're watching closely? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. I think he's a player that people have been kind of hoping to see this kind of run from for a couple seasons now. And, you know, the, the, the few flashy statement wins he's had early in his career definitely set up expectations in a certain way. But churning through a draw week after week is kind of a different exercise and uh, requires a different skill set and maybe a more reproducible game plan for, for winning matches. And I think something we saw in the Wimbledon run was him, you know, slightly scaling back his incredibly dynamic and risky style of play and going for bigger targets. Um, if you look at that RBA win, I thought that was an extremely persuasive you know, win over a veteran with just more conservative uh, shot selection, but still the incredible you know, shape and power in his ground strokes that allows him, as you said, to take the racket out of so many opponents' hands. Um, and just the fact that he was putting it together in best of five made made the semis with some uh, pretty solid victories along the way. The Hachinov match was great as well. Um, he just seemed to me like a player who very obviously has the physical tools to win a lot, but just has to figure out a few things in terms of return of serve, um, you know, change of pace. The, the slight for a one-hander, he never seemed to have a very comfortable slice and um shot selection as well so it, it it really does seem like it it came together last month and uh i am curious to see how well he can translate that to a service that he's obviously had some great results on if uh four years ago is when he really did break out um with that win over rafa in canada was that toronto or Montreal? that was uh I think that was Toronto. It sounds right. Yeah. It yeah. was one of the Rogers Cups. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of those locations. Yeah. Um and you know, that that a player with with still that that same raw shot making ability who I think is in much more you know physical condition. He, he's just grown up a lot and he, he looks a lot stronger and uh stamina is there and I I I'd I'd be surprised if he didn't have a really great summer hardcore season coming off results like this 
Mm-hmm. 35 and 22 in his last 52 weeks. He's made nine different quarterfinals, six and three in that quarterfinal round. Of course, he's made two the first two quarterfinals at the Slams in his career, 2020 U.S. Open, now semifinal here at the 2021 Wimbledon. I mean, the numbers are kind, and all these numbers via our friends at Tennis Abstract. He's got a career yeah. high in hold percentage. He's hovering around his career high in break percentage. The big thing for him, you look at their stats leaderboard, he's 10th right now in hold percentage amongst top 50 players on the ATP Tour, ninth yeah. in first serve points, uh, percentage of first serve points one. It, the power has always, you know, he's been a part of our lives, part of the tennis ecosystem for so long now. We feel like he's a veteran. He's not. Yeah. He's 20, <laughs> yeah, he's 21 years old or turning 22, uh, just turned 22 in April. And, you know, this is a guy clearly ascending towards his prime, ascending towards that ceiling. I agree yeah. with you. Even the return percentage, he's up to 30th amongst top 50 players. And mm-hmm. that doesn't stand out, but. There are only 11 players right now in the top 50 who rank top 30 in both hold percentage and break percentage. He's one of them, and he's always flashed a well-rounded game, and he has plus athleticism. You could argue pound for pound, Dennis Shapovalov is the best athlete on the ATP Tour. That combination of explosion, power, quickness, all of it, he's got it. The problem is he gets a little slap happy. Like, yeah. and again, his the the break percentage for him is over. Tw- it's like twenty one percent, which again, it's good for thirtieth now, but that's not mm-hmm. great. Like, and and it's clearly still oh, it, very much like the Tsitsipas backhand. You feel like it can absolutely be a weakness where if you attack it with pace, yeah. he's just gonna he's gonna swing through. But moving forward. That's the thing you want. You want someone who's playing on their terms. You want someone, right, who's able to swing through, who, as to quote myself, takes the racket out of your hand. Um, and that's what – Shepovalov has that trait, and you, you yeah. just can't teach that. So I, I would agree with you, and especially, you know, you, you kind of mentioned it, summer hardcourt should be his bread and butter. Like totally. this is the surface is where, where he should win. thrive. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think as we just think about – prospects and you know what they need to succeed i feel like the ability to end points in you know multiple areas of the court of the court and in particular with the serve you know he has, he has a great serve and just a really solid ability to hit through the court from multiple positions and you know it kind of showed itself well on grass and as you say there's absolutely no reason it shouldn't continue uh, to, to the hard court. Mm-hmm. And we look for him again. He's six, uh, I think 15th overall right now with ELO rating 10th in 2021 specific ELO rating. Yeah. It's crazy to see Shapovalov as a top 10 guy, but that's what yeah. he's been here in 2021. Like it, it does feel like there's a divide though. And this gets me to Andre Rublev, our next player here. And I apologize in advance We're I feel like we might brush over that 40 minute mark. I'm no, just yeah, yeah. But, um, introducing Coco golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of nineties inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco cg1 at newbalance.com you look for uh andre rublev or you look right now at the top 10 of the atp rankings and we'll get to rublev and his place in that top 10 but it's djokovic one medvedev two nadal three Tsitsipas four zverev five 
that feels like your top five. Like, yeah. I, I feel like we have we have finally started to separate the field a little bit. They're starting yeah. to see a degree of separation now. The question for me coming out of Wimbledon, because I'm not I'm not saying they're going to be the new big three or the new like they're going to achieve to that level. But Medvedev, you know, Tsitsipas, Zverev coming into this Wimbledon finalists at the last three Grand Slams. Yeah. Well, Berrettini has now made a final as well. And yeah. he's like 39 and 12 over his last 52 weeks and top five by the advanced metrics and a top three server. And it's just him is Nureyunich holding 90% of the time. And yeah. given that he's now made a Grand Slam final, given that he made a semifinal at the U.S. Open, given I would argue that he played Djokovic as well as anyone at the 2021 French Open, I probably include him now. On that list, I say it's Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and Berrettini who have separated themselves. And despite all of the success he had at the end of last year to start this season, I don't put Andre Rublev on that list. I haven't put Shapovalov on that list as well. Uh, is that fair? Like, do you think Berrettini belongs? Because it's tough to say Berrettini a little one-dimensional like a Rublev, like a Shapovalov yeah. at the same time. That dimension's just a little bit further progressed. So, sure. I don't, I, wh- wh- what category? I, I guess where do you see that separation between this group? I think if you'd asked me before this grass season, I would not have made the distinction you made between a Rublev and a Berrettini. Mm-hmm. But I mean, especially just you know the the run he'd had in ATP 500s earlier, and just the consistency uh, I think he'd shown week in week out. But you know winning six best of five matches over two weeks is a huge new data point <laughs> to uh bring into any analysis and um yeah i i think that's completely fair to to to, to sort of elevate Barrichini into into what you see as kind of that top cohort and uh leave the question unanswered for rublev at least so far but mm-hmm. i think he'll go a long way towards answering it one way or another uh the rest of the season as we move to hard carts where you know he has historically been very comfortable Mm -hmm. all that said andre rublev right now 62 and 18 in his last 52 weeks that's a 78 percent. yeah it's a joke and you know again i was really bored last summer because there was nothing for anyone to do and so i looked up the best you know the best seasons of the best players in atp history and you know the federers nadal's Djokovic's, they hit that upper 80% range, 88 to 91% of their matches won. They're making finals in half of their events. They're winning, or they're winning half of their events. They're making finals in three quarters of them. Rublev's yeah. not on that level. But when you hit that, you know, if you're 22, 23, 24 years old, you're hitting that 62 win threshold. You're winning about 80% of your matches. You're winning a bunch of 500 titles, making quarterfinals at a couple of slams as well. It's been a really good last 52 weeks for Andre Rublev, and yet I think there's a bit of a Dominic team effect, effect mm-hmm. here. I feel yeah. like he may like have— a scheduling bur- thing? Exactly. Are you feeling that at all? I could definitely see the argument for it. I think if we saw—I think right now his performance is just still too solid for me to see the case against against the scheduling, but you know, I, I could see it catching up to him for sure. Mm-hmm. It's just— and- it's so much tennis these last 52 weeks, right? It's like yeah. they started a second season in August, yeah. and then it was like you had like a little four-week pocket because you had to go to Australia so early. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's, he's been playing a ton of tennis. Um, and, you know, it, it does seem like maybe in this kind of formative period as these future top 10 players are 
figuring out their games, uh, maybe it's not the worst thing for them to just be getting a ton of reps on a lot of different surfaces. But um, there will definitely come a point where you want to triage the uh, calendar a little more thoughtfully. No, the 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 flip side of this argument, the point you're making, just playing these matches or uh, more data points, more repetitions. You look know, like, quietly. Rublev's grass court season finals of Halla loses yeah. to Umber. Fourth round of Wimbledon. He's played fewer than twenty grass court matches in his career. It's like yeah. actually that that's a really good development Very for him. Solid. So, yeah, yeah, so that's that's why I want to bring him up is because I feel like. I mean, I just made the case for why Berrettini's on a tier above him. At the same time, if I tell you Andre Rublev's the guy who ends up making that run at the U.S. Open, semifinals, finals, not beat Djokovic, let's not get crazy here, but like <laughs> semifinals, finals, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities. Totally. And I, it did feel like he had his kind of breakout slam earlier than a couple of these other guys when he made the quarters at the Open. And... uh I think got dismantled by Rafa, if I mm-hmm. remember it correctly. But um, yeah, I, I think the ability to win in best of five was was there arguably before some of the people and other players in his cohort. So, you know, just I always felt like it's a matter of time before he found the way to translate. And, and like you said, I think the ability to have a great grass court season despite very minimal experience is, is pretty impressive. And even just thinking about his style of play too. Um, definitely an encouraging sign yeah no I mean the power he has from the baseline it it jumps out to you the moment you watch him play he is so he's what the eye test right it's just yeah, like, it'll yeah. take you two seconds you're like yep he's got it give me that yeah. guy's forehand and it sounds like a freaking cannon yeah. is taking off anytime he hits the ball cleanly but you know, again, those are our top 10 players. I don't think we have to make too convincing of a case to say, hey, two top 10 players, two of the most interesting this summer. But yeah. as we move further down the list here, the names start to get more interesting. And where I want to go next is with the Lion, a man you have written yeah. about before, if uh, yeah. you recall back in, the, you know, I think it was yeah. end of April-ish or April-ish, yeah. where you, I think it was Aslan Karatsev's, yeah. I don't remember the title, but it was something about Aslan Karatsev. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you made the, I mean, I've I've referred to him this season as the GOAT because what he yeah. did at the start of this year, I, you know, FAA loses to him in five sets in the fourth round and everyone's jumping off the FAA bandwagon and then he ends up making the semifinals. Yeah. And I don't think we properly apologized to FAA, but that's a story for another time. Yeah. Karatsev has been amazing. And he was incredible on the challenger level at the end of 2020. That success immediately translated to the ATP level at the start of this season, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. He slowed down a bit since then, but you look for Aslan Karatsev right now entering this hardcourt summer, I believe, still ranked number 24 in the ATP rankings. That's his career high. He's still 52-17 and 17 over his last 52 weeks. Now has lost five of his last seven, but still... Uh, clay courts grass courts at the atp level that was his really first run through that ringer why is he on your list here yeah so uh, you know as you point out um shifting surfaces while it did have some incredible results notably that (laughs) Djokovic win that uh i mentioned earlier um you know it's a guy who doesn't have a ton of experience playing at this level uh and in general for one but specifically on these surf on these other surfaces uh on clay and grass and 
you know, meanwhile, you look earlier in the season and the ridiculous things he was doing on hard court. My main curiosity is whether he can just bring that level back once he goes back to a, a court service that is more comfortable uh, and, and more perhaps suitable to his playing style as well. Um, but, you know, once I saw that the, the Australian Open run would be followed by just a couple weeks later by that Dubai run, I realized, you know, maybe there's something real here. Like it seems like there's a top 20 level player that has just emerged onto the tour fully formed at, uh, at age 27, which is not something you see too often. And I think figuring out whether he can sustain that level earlier this season through this uh, summer hardcore season is definitely going to be interesting for me. No, there are currently, I think, eight guys who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. The top 15 club, Djokovic, Nadal, Medvedev, Zverev, Rublev. Makes yeah. sense. And since yeah. Pasperatini with their backhand returns, they're just not going to be top 15 in break percentage. But guys who are top 20, Dominic Team and Aslan Karatsev. Yeah. And it makes sense. You watch Karatsev play. His game is just so smooth. Like yeah. it's, It doesn't make sense how someone who makes tennis look this easy struggled for as long as he yeah. did midway. Yeah. You're just like, because you see the success and it makes sense. Right. It's not like he's chopping his way to victories and he's hitting these on-the-run forehand slices or just like every high-risk, high, uh, low-margin shot is landing for him. It's yeah. just like, no, he's just beating people's asses. Yeah. And like, it's crazy. He, uh, I mean, the quality of ball striking is just ridiculous. And, and as you said, it makes you wonder uh, how we didn't put it together earlier. But, you know, it sounds like he had some uh, knee, knee stuff, physical things holding him back earlier in his career. And now that everything's aligned, he's just pretty much able to hit the best players in the world off the court uh, at will, which is kind of a ridiculous thing to see play out. And, you know, just so smooth and so powerful off both wings so yeah, it's, it's, it's a very pleasurable game to have on the tv his forehand is just it's so yeah it's just so measured you're just like yep i see it and it's also if you dropped him into 2000 and we're just oh, like yeah. you now play 2000 tennis he would fit yeah. in hand in a glove he'd just be totally. like i belong here totally i uh i don't know if it's uh his russian background skewing me too hard but i've already seen I feel like I've seen a lot of flashes of Murat Sapp in, in, in the way he plays. Um, just that pure power and shot-making talent. It's, it's, you, know, you really don't see it that often at this level of execution. Yeah, and he's like a sneaky 6-2, too. too or yeah, like, so it's yeah. just like everything about it. You're just like, yep, check by. You're like, good good size, good speed, good power, yeah. like good off of both wings no discernible yeah. weakness like i suppose other than he loses focus every so often like yeah. guys yeah really really good and honestly still for him to as you mentioned make that final in belgrade for him to round yeah. of 16 madrid round of 16 rome that's going to keep you in the top 30 and so uh yeah. he is well positioned and you know this is where he he's got some points now he's starting to defend a lot of challenger success at the end of last year obviously he gets to play atp level stuff so he's got yeah. the opportunity to add on but this is where if he wants to be really well positioned for 2022 this is the portion of the season he's definitely got to deliver in. I think so. And, um, you know, we talk about sort of the struggles he had as, as the tour moved to different surfaces, but you know, he, he still does have 
wins over Diego Schwartzman on clay. Admittedly, Schwartzman himself is in a rough patch then, but um, you know he has that win over Medvedev in Rome on clay. So, I, despite it maybe not looking as comfortable to him as in the hard court, um, n- not bad for a first pass at an ATP clay and ATP grass <laughs> season. I, I think this kid's got a got a real future. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I would I would very much agree with you. Well, speaking of kid though, that's where I want to go with my next direction. I suppose he's not really a kid at this point. My next player. Mm-hmm. Uh, 23 years old at the end of this season one of the I think we all agree 10 best clay court players in the world clearly the question is what can he do on the other surfaces I am of course talking about world number 16 Casper Ruud you look for Ruud over these last 52 weeks 36 and 17 overall he made two semifinals I believe in Rome I think he made a final in a semifinal in Monte Carlo as well just made the final today in Bastad now you know third round fifth five set loss to Alejandro Davidovich Fokina certainly yeah. a little bit on the disappointing side but great match though yeah, yeah very very fun match he also won a, a tournament in Geneva on clay in the build-up to the French Open you look for him 13th in overall ELO 11th in 2021 specific ELO he's another guy who would be right on that top 30 fringe uh with you know the Shapovalov I think Corda's in that mix as well the next group of players he's a name who when you start looking at the stats and you're trying to say who have been the 15 best maybe not the 10 best but the 15 best you have to include Casper Ruud in that conversation and then again here's my hot take I suppose for you I think he's the most uh, the best approximation of what a human looks like that's trying to impersonate Rafael Nadal yeah I mean it's fascinating right like that is what the mortal Nadal and a righty Nadal looks like yeah, I, I was about to say something very similar. I mean, you look at the RPM stats, and he's he's right up there. And I, I think on pushing past him on uh, some some of the graphs I've seen. And yeah, if you if you look at someone, a normal 99th percentile, 99.999 percentile human athlete trying to replicate that extreme topspin, um, you know, obviously especially comfortable on clay, and yeah, that's 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 a that's very reasonable comp, I think. I appreciate that. And it's also the way they hit backhands. Like yeah. that's that's the thing that really it's like they're so it's like kind of handsy like you can see them you can feel them feeling the ball and trying Mm -hmm. to drive it with more depth and pace and like elevation over the net and you can watch them do it with their hands yeah and it's like that sort of control and craft and then similar athletes as well i don't know if he quite has nadal's ass and like doesn't (laughs) quite have that movement but he's on the level certainly and and the the thing for him obviously so much of casper success has come on clay courts in his career you look for him in atp level matches on hard courts versus on clay courts casper in his career 16 and 26 on the atp level on hard courts yeah. uh, i believe 64 and 30 at the atp level on clay that doesn't i those two i i'm missing something there's a disconnect there and yeah. perhaps it's a sample that he should be better on a hard court right he should be I, i'm looking at just at uh elo ratings right now and he has one of the biggest drop-offs from his best surface to the others um Mm -hmm. which you know aligns with what we've seen from his results and i don't see any particular reason why that kind of you know 
heavy ball shouldn't be very annoying to deal with on a hard court as well. Um, you know, maybe it's a movement thing. I, ha I haven't been watching his hardcore matches closely enough to really pick up on that. But in theory, I could I see no reason why the game shouldn't translate. Mm -hmm. And why I'm encouraged, his two big hardcore results this year, fourth round Australian Open loses to Rublev. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Quarterfinals Acapulco pulls out uh, before the match against Zverev, but beat Daniel Galan, beat Talon Griekspor. That's fine. So I just yeah. I need to see more is really the key here. And so yeah. that is why he is on my list because he's got all the ingredients, uh, I think, to be a top 20 guy, perhaps with a good clay court season sneak even higher because he does have that high ceiling on one surface. Yeah. He's a guy I've got my eyes on. I want to go now to your next guy, though, because from an aesthetic standpoint, this is not one of the most pleasing games you're going to see on the <laughs> ATP Tour. And if you want to talk about someone who perhaps epitomizes slap happy, you talk about Ugo Umber. Yeah. yeah. There is not an ounce of fear in anything Umber does. And he was one of the hottest players to end 2020, was so good on the indoor hard courts, clearly yeah. wins the event in Hala. Uh, you know, had he not played Kyrgios round one, was very well positioned to make a second week at Wimbledon. Those were two of the 20 best players in the draw meeting in the first round. Yeah. I like this pick. Make the case. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's in, in, in large part just inspired by the, the recent successes he's had. And in particular, the run at Halle, like that's, let's look at the names he took down. You know, Sam Curry first round. Sasha Zarev, second round. Korda, who was about to go on to, you know, have an awesome Wimbledon run as well. And then Felix, who, of course, semifinaled the next uh, at Wimbledon. And then you've got Rublev in the final, um, something we just talked about as delivering very consistently all season. And, you know, that's a very difficult path to a title. And... Definitely breaking out as a grass court success is the least, maybe the least surprising uh, place he could have, um, you know, had this level of quality of wins. But my question is whether he can bring that, you know, big serving game to, to hard court and uh, bring some of this momentum over. I think we're starting to see kind of a different maturation cycle in players where. You know, a lot of even though a lot of the excitement does get directed at the prodigies, eighteen-year-olds, you know, kids with great junior results who come in and are are picking off um, first round, second rounds at a major early on in their in their ATP careers. We have just as many, I think, who really round into form in their mid twenties. Obviously, Berrettini being a big example. You know, the case could be made for Team to some extent as well. I really feel like he is. A, qualitatively different player now than he was earlier in his career and Umber born in 98 um maybe not as storied an early career as uh some of the other young players rising up but you know there's a lot of elements to his game that makes sense namely uh, let's see his hold percentage this year 85 percent um good for 12th by the way amongst yeah. top 50 players yeah you know the return game is never going to blow you away, but uh, <laughs> a big lefty serve can mm -hmm. cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. He's and, also uh, on the all bad posture team. Yeah. Team curve yeah. spine, which <laughs> I like to ride on as well. And so like, you don't realize he's like six, two, six, three. 
And, yeah. like, he unloads on that serve. You're absolutely right. Like, he flashes elite serving potential. And it, totally. it just, you watch him. And, again, that's not something that pops out with your eyes. Yeah. It, it uh, yeah, sneaky, big guy. Not so sneaky, dominant server. Um, <laughs> and the the other thing that makes it interesting to me is that his his runs at majors, where I expected him to do things, um, you know, were ended by Nick Curios in the first round. So in <laughs> yeah. in Melbourne and uh, at Wimbledon. So that feels like not a super useful data point one way or the other, right? <laughs> like, exactly. Like that's not your everyday first round slam loss. <laughs> Um, you know, a five setter against Nick. So I am very curious to see. Hopefully, he draws someone else at the Open first round this year, and uh, see if he can kind of use his recent success and that big serve to, you know, win some it, matches. It's crazy to say he's the best French Frenchman's tennis player in the world right now. Yeah, like, definitely. And it's, and it's I don't know what that says about the state of French tennis. I suppose that I'll leave that to the big thinkers, but. He's the guy right now, and like, yeah, yeah. It's, again, three ATP titles in his career. He's won them all in the last eighteen months or nineteen yeah. months, whatever it may be. I I would agree with you. I think it is a little one dimensional, um, and I just don't understand. Again, this is where I see a break percentage like his, where it's what this. It's not good this season. Not good. Let's yeah, see. and I, I think he's like forty eighth amongst the top fifty players on the yeah. stats leaderboard. Fourteen point six percent. Yeah, that's that's bad. Like that's we, very bad. we can just yeah, when you're under 15 let alone under 20%, that is not good, but like I guess it's the extreme grips. Like it it yeah. that that pace gives him problems, but I it, I don't feel like it should like it, the way he's able to generate pace from the baseline, I feel like he should have more success as a returner. I feel like it's a low-hanging fruit. Yeah, I mean I'm look just looking at his break percentage over past seasons. You know, it's always been pretty rough. But mm-hmm. last season he was up to 20, and I feel like that's an achievable mm-hmm. mark for him. Um, as he, as we pointed out, you know, being elite on the tour in both those categories is something only very few players can pull off. But I, I really feel like he could be a guy pushing close to 90 percent. Um, whole percentage if if he kind of develops a little bit and and uh keeps serving the way he has been recently mm-hmm. and then at that point you know obviously you don't want to be at 14 percent, but uh a a mediocre return game should should keep him in the top 20 um fairly comfortably it's but, shapovalovich it's like just yes. get to that or see it's like get to 20 percent and just by virtue of your serve, if you're a top 30 returner, you're going to be top 15. Like, yeah. I agree with you completely. And it's just, it's, again, it's such a, it feels like it's such an easily improvable thing that, yeah. the, that the upside for him is very achievable. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And and uh, you know, from from the baseline, you know, pretty creates a ton of pace off both wings. Obviously, not the most consistent 
or, or fluid all the time. But um, on the grass, he, uh, there were definitely matches where I was like, you know, the best guy in the tournament. He should, mm-hmm. he should win this. He should win uh, that title on Hala. And uh, I, I'm very curious to see whether this is a player with some staying power or he just kind of fizzles out for the rest of the season. But no. he's put together a pretty impressive stretch. A hundred percent agree with you. And again, great hair. Great yeah. hair. <laughs> Curly cues. Like, oh, it's and he's, there's great something pi- about him. Great piano player, too. Great. And there's like the fist pump again, the sort of hunched over, like the he's like a 90 degreer. You know, the, the 90 degree <laughs> fist pump. You know what I mean. Yeah. And so, um, and it's just, there's something appealing about it. Yeah. And it's his, his flair. It's just like his game on a grass court. He's like, look, I'm going down the line now. I may yeah. miss, but like this point, end, he's like, this ends now. And yeah. it's just like, I, I kind of love that about him. I really yeah, do. Yeah. Definitely. And that's why uh, the, the Curios first round matchups have been entertaining, even though I would prefer to see what. Umber could do in a, yeah. in a more normal <laughs> exactly. draw at some point. There's also a, a if Kyrio shows you deference and respect, yeah, like right. the, it's, it's a, it means something, right? When yeah. Nick Kyrgios goes, I really like playing Ugo Umber. Like he and I yeah. see eye to eye on this. That yeah. no rallies past ten shots. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, um, Definitely a game recognized game. Uh, exactly, moment. exactly. By the way, Big Nick Energy is probably the profile of 2021. I was going to oh, get that. I'm you. done flattering you after that. That's the last one, I promise, but that's, you, that's the one. Um, but anyways, moving beyond that, one player I would throw in the mix, there's not much new to add about him, but he did make the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And, you know, again, this speaks to the broader generational shift, and we're down the home stretch here. But a guy like Karen Hatchinov, yeah. who has been so hot and cold, and yet you look for Hatchnov. I believe he's made third round or later at every Grand Slam he's competed at since 2018. There are a bunch of fourth rounds in the mix. Only two quarterfinals, but three out of five sets, he's always going to be one of the top 32 guys. Just physically, he epitomizes the modern game, right? 6-6, fluid, doesn't lose any, yeah exactly yeah. doesn't lose any power despite that fluidity for his size like can crank serve 130 whenever he needs to not the most again there are weaknesses um but him i mean i say it all the time the future of the game is tall zero yeah. medvedev Tsitsipas, Hercots, berrettini hatchnov opelka bublik yeah. i i can go on and on and on lists even faa six four you don't realize it like yeah. That's it, a sneaky tall guy. Yeah, exa- sure. Exactly. Another one. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian Corda, 6'5", 6'6". There's like yeah. easy power. Fritz, it, easy power, 6'4", 6'5". It's just that is the future of the ATP Tour. And Karen Hatchnov, one of the guys who epitomizes what that – just like to have his physicality and then the weapons of his serve, his forehand, you're going to be top 30 throughout your prime. Now, again, he's been lapped by – you could argue three other Russians in cards yeah. have having probably an equal, if not better, year than him this season. But he's starting to play well again. And I just, like, I can't quit Hatchnov. I I've tried. Like, believe me. I have gotten yeah. in the program. I've been like, let me get on the Rublev. Let me get on the Medvedev bandwagon. But there's something about his – just that's the profile. I've, I have a type. It's tall. <laughs> and, 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 and he, he – it's, it's Hemsworth-esque, and he's yeah. that – yeah, he. I mean, as you say, he he has all the weapons. One of those guys where the game makes so much sense on paper that there's no reason he shouldn't be 
mm-hmm. um, performing kind of the, the way he is. I hadn't realized the level of consistency that you pointed out. That's kind of incredible. And, um, you know, the few times I've gotten to watch him play at the Open, he had that memorable match against Rafa a couple of years ago. Uh, definitely made me a believer um, in his potential. Mm-hmm. He played a match versus Rafa at Indian Wells. It was either 2020 or 2019. They didn't have Indian Wells in 2020, so it must have been 2019. There we yeah. go. Process of elimination. And Hatchinov was up a set and a break, and Nadal started cramping. Yeah. And Hatchinov ends up losing that match. And I swear to God, you can draw a direct line from him losing that match to the struggles he's experienced over the past 24 months. Very interesting. And, yeah, it's and it's a lot of extrapolation, let me tell you. I don't know how great <laughs> – how there would definitely be parts of the line that are erased, and it'd be like what, – what's the, what's the movie called? Is it 1917 or 15 or the one that just came oh, out? You the, know, with yeah, Tom, yeah. yeah, with Tom and Baratheon ends up getting killed really early on, and <laughs> yeah. they throw you for that. Yeah, with the war, anything. It's kind of like that where he's, like, you know, kind of crossing that line where, like, sometimes the line gets very, very blurry – Anyways, yeah. all that is to say, that was one of my favorite movies I had seen in a while. So I just was trying to work that in. I still in, haven't but, seen that one, so uh, I'll, I'll make I just, a point of it. I think I just spoiled. Big uh, spoiler yeah. early on. That's I, all right. Yeah, That's just right. look for Tom and again lets us down. Um, yeah. But you look for, uh, getting back full circle here, for Karen Hatchinov. Again, it's just like, it's a really nice canvas to work with. You're yeah. like this. The, there are ingredients there. Even when you watch him hit the backhand, I don't watch his backhand and think that's a bad backhand. I think like right. that Solid. backhand. Yeah, exa- exactly. Where it's like with everything else you can do, you should be fine. Yeah. And yet sometimes he just like I feel like he tries to look the part as much as anything else. And that's where he gets into trouble. Mm. What do you mean by that? Like look the part of tennis player. Like yeah. I, I hit big forehand. I move to net now. And it's right. like right, well, maybe right, right. maybe you shouldn't move you to net You specifically shouldn't. Yes. Yeah. Give it one more shot. Give it that second yeah. forehand to where then that next volley, all you have to do is make it to open court. I just feel like sometimes he gives – he tries to execute things that just – they're not in the ballpark yet. Yeah. I mean definitely not. doesn't leap out at me as like a big feel guy. Exactly. Um, in that talent pool. I think even looking at the other big guys you mentioned, there's a bunch of them whose hands at net are whose kind of improvisation game. I, I would, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, he looks very comfortable up there. Um, you know, Stefanos as well. Um, in weird flashes, honestly, I think Medvedev. Uh, yes. there, there are times I feel like if people are sleeping on that. Uh, it's the but, length. He's just like, yeah. I'm covering all of it. Yeah, and, and obviously there are plenty of occasions where he looks just like a large bird up at the net but you know in that if you remember that u.s open final against rafa he mixed in a lot of serve and volley as he made his comeback um and i think both players on the court were very uncomfortable (laughs) but uh yeah uh kachanov does not strike me as having quite that same comfort uh thinking on the fly in uncomfortable court positions. He's a guy who likes to get the ball, you know, around shoulder height and just crush it from from the baseline mm-hmm. or, or, or well behind it, as the case may be. But, you know, I think the idea of looking, there might be something to that idea of here's what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. on the court versus here's how I optimize my specific mm-hmm. skill set and, um, you know, hit that next penetrating forehand cross court before. I move in for the kill. And there's something to saying you don't want to sacrifice development for the sake of winning, but, you know, Hatchinoff's 25 this year. Yeah. 
the development can be sacrificed at this point. For yeah, the sake. Yeah. It's time to win. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, there's probably no. not a bunch of new wrinkles coming yeah. into this game at this point. <laughs> he whips out like the one-handed backhand. That's the yeah. next. That's the next move for him, or something crazy like that. No, I would agree with you. So again, I'm taking a flyer on him. Yeah, we've got three names left on the list: Nishikori, yeah. Musetti, Alcaraz. Yeah. I'm happy to go in the direction of either of them. Let's start quickly with Nishikori because, again, data point perspective, we're not going to lo- learn new things yes. about his game. Why totally. is he on your list? Yeah, I, I think intriguing in the sense of I'm not necessarily expecting huge things from him, but it's really you know, he's, a, he's a, a play style I've enjoyed watching over the years. And at this point, the question that has kind of dominated his career has taken on more of a – it's more in the four now. It's always been a question of his body holding up. And now I kind of have that same question on a career span. How much gas does he have in the tank at this point? Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, let's see, he's born in 89. So definitely on the downswing of his career, definitely someone who continues to impress in flashes, but you have to think he's missed his best shots already. Um, if it wasn't going to happen in that, uh, what were those years? Did yes. he make every 15, quarter in or seventeen? I think. He yeah, made he made every quarter right? yeah. in seventeen. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the the that was those were certainly seemed like the seasons where if he was going to do that damage, he would have. Um, but yeah, obviously, ridiculously consistent performer over the slams over the last decade as well. No, it's. I mean, why I wanted to save Musetti Alcaraz for last is yeah. I'm ready to turn the page. Like, I, yeah. it, it's a little extreme, but, like, I mean, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, fine. But, like, I mean, the French generation, Simone, Gasquet, yeah. Sanga, probably done with them. Like, respectfully, yeah. like, done with them being top 20 guys. They, I'm not, when I say done with, I'm never advocating for someone to retire. Play as long as you want. I don't yeah. care. Like, but your your stay in the top 20, we're probably done with that French generation. Nadal yeah. is the last one of the Spanish generation. Like, the best players of that middle tier of generation Chilich and Grigor and Rayonich, it's like, you've got Carreno Busta and you've got Bautista Gut left. Like, that's yeah. really it. Rayonich constantly dealing with injuries. Dimitrov in the foreground, but or in the background, I suppose, but constantly dealing with little nagging injuries. And just, yeah. you know, Nishikori always dealing with injuries. Like, Chilich yeah. clearly a step slower than he was even as recently as 2019. And, like, again, the, it's just tough Pretty for him. distressing to... loss for him at the Ex- Exactly. And so yeah. it's just like, I mean— I don't want to say I'm done with a full generation of players, but I yeah. think that lost gen, which is what they're always going to be known as, yeah. they've been surpassed. Like, we've talked about it. Guys like Rude and Umber, they make up the middle class of your top 50 now. It's not the it, – outside of Carreno Busta, Bautista, Goon, I suppose Karatsev and like a Dan Evans hanging on, yeah. it's all 25 and under players populating now the, the upper echelons of the game. Totally. I think uh, we're seeing probably the last gasps of uh, that lost gen this season, next season. And uh, I really feel like we're seeing a healthy cohort of, of young players kind of mature in their games. And we'll be filling out the top 30 and top 40. And uh, some of these names will be receding into the background. But, um, you know, I, I, I can't shake it. I just feel like 
he's got a little more to give. Um, and he's the five set king, right? Yeah, like if yeah. he gets one for of those young, for worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of five setters that shouldn't have been five setters in there. But uh, for a guy who's, I mean, it's it, it is the reason he struggles physically as much as he does is because he can't always just execute and uh, you know finish things out in a tidy manner because. As we talk about, you mentioned earlier, the future of the game being size. Here's very much a last vestige mm-hmm. of a, a prior generation where I think, what is he, 5'10", yeah. somewhere around there, has has the kind of serve you might expect um, from someone of that stature and has just had to hit more balls than other players of his approximate ranking pretty much at every point of his career. Um, so, no, not a recipe for longevity. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he turned the corner on 30, he's 32 now. Um, you know, I'm sorry, 31. How, how much does he have left? I, I'm genuinely curious. You think, I, I know he's married, but if Kane Nishikori had a hinge profile, he's listing himself at six foot, right? Like he's, <laughs> he's like definitely putting down like, I am six feet. Yeah, that that's the uh, benefit of the doubt you get as a pro athlete. You get, yeah. to, you get to round up, in, in, unless you're an NBA big man, in which case you round down to that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Think you're like a power forward. Yeah, the Durant rule, right? Exactly, He's like, I'm six exactly. nine. I swear, it's like, dude, you might be yeah. seven one. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, come on, let's get out of here. But, but yeah, K-, K gets to round up for sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I yes, I I agree with you there. If you make a U.S. Open final, first of all, he's married, so. Yeah. Uh, he may, but that's a, by the way, him being married does not exclude him from having a hinge profile. That's true. Like, yeah. Still very, very possible. But nevertheless, yeah. um, no, again, that that's one name. And then the last one are our last two are Musetti and Alcaraz, and they sort of epitomize the generational shift. It's not just yeah. the next gen guys, it's the next next gen, the Musettis, sure. the Alcarazes, the Cordas, the Nakashimas, obviously on uh, top of that generation right now, Yannick Sinner and Felix Ogier Aliasim. Yeah. If I gave you four, here's a final question for you. Here's how I'll frame it. And I know these are a lot of names I'm about to say at you at once, so I apologize Mm -hmm. in advance. I'll even give you five. The big five of the next gen. So Zirev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Berrettini, Rublev. Mm -hmm. Or I give you the next next gen. FAA, Sinner, Musetti, Alcaraz, Korda. Mm -hmm. Who's your starting five you're rolling with? You know... I've just been trying to persuade myself against taking early results too seriously. We have seen that fizzle out in in a lot of cases, but I think if you're making, well, you could say Sinner and Sasha Zverev were not on radically different trajectories. True. I agree Um, very much. So I think some people take the latter group just for Sinner. They then when I've had this, they say, just give me Yannick. Yeah, I, I yeah, he seems about as sure a bet as you can find. Um, and I, I think the re- the only reason I picked Musetti and Alcaraz to talk about is because Sinners just seem to have already erased the question marks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you know, you talk, the Miami field may have been a little depleted, but he still made a Masters final, which is uh, pretty ridiculous for, for where he is and where he was even a year out or 18 months ago. So, um, yeah, maybe I do go with that second group. There, yeah, maybe I it, do. It's the it's definitely the zag, like yeah. I because I, so I have a group of six six guys that I think uh, I'm just 
locks to win Grand Slams. It started out, well, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Sinner, FAA. If the five of them don't win Grand Slams over this next decade, I was shocked. I'd just, like, pencil them in. Yeah. I think Berrettini's going to steal a Wimbledon. Like, his serve, that aggression, it makes sense. So he would be my sixth. Rublev, Mm -hmm. Shapovalov, Korda, the guys who are on the bubble to me. By virtue of just having more people, four versus two right now, like, I would take the current, you know, the older next gen. Mm-hmm. At the same time, who is the single person you are most confident wins a Grand Slam? I mean, despite his per- – again, without endorsing the person, it's Alex Zverev. Like, yeah. you watch- there are still 15 minutes of every match where I'm like, that's the best tennis player ever created. Like, yeah. just physically – Like, six, grown. Yeah, you're just like – exactly. Yeah. If Daryl Morey created a tennis yeah. player, yeah. it would be Alex Zverev minus the second serve issues. But yeah. that's like yeah. the fundamental flaw because something has to go wrong. Right. Um, but if it's not him, it's like – it's probably – it's sinner. Like, it is. Yeah. It's absolutely a sinner. Yeah, um, you know, we talk about eye test and uh, ball striking. Like, and that's someone who I haven't gotten a chance to see up close, but definitely just want to hear mm-hmm. the, the sound off the right. I, I did actually see him once, but just a ridiculous, um, like a, a Burditch style, Del Potro style of, of ball striking that mm-hmm. I feel like, how could this not work? How can this not work? Uh, you know, the serve has room to grow, but he's a big, he's a reasonably big guy. Um, I, yeah, I feel like this is just gonna. The lateral movement is awesome at that size. I just genuinely feel like having him second after. Did you ha- did you have him second as your pick one guy after Zverev? Uh, uh Sinner. I the thing is, I know Medvedev's gonna win one yeah, too. That, like, I, I mean, like... he might. He might have won one by the end of the season. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I those three are. I mean, he's CC Pass too. Again, I said the five. It's the five. Like, yeah. I, I'm. I will never give up my FAA stock. You look yeah. at the records of youngest players to do things. It's yeah. The list is always Richard Gasquet, who was the best 15 year old ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nadal, Djokovic, Del Potro. FAA has set a lot of the records since then and surpassed those first four guys. And Carlos Alcaraz has matched yeah. a lot of FAA's records. Yeah. But, like, I, and he's still only not even 21, eight ATP finals, fourth round at three of the four slams, has made a clay court final, which is the only slam he's missing for the fourth round. Like, I'm still a super believer in FAA. He's also the ear test guy where it's like that forehand, I've actually never heard anything like it. Yeah. Um, Berrettini is where I start to waver. Like, I, yeah. I, I feel the same degree of confidence about all five. So I wouldn't rank them, I suppose. It's tough for me to tier them in any specific order. It's just like, if it's a binary system, they're all ones. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that, that might have been too much detail, but that, that no, would no, be no. my explanation. Always nice to to know someone else's uh, thought process. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I have to give Center a one on that as well how many ones and, do you have right now of that generation of these generations um i'd say yeah of the five earlier cohort you mentioned i'm comfortable giving all those guys the one and then felix as well and center and that's probably where i would stop Draw you need to see a, li- a little more from from the was it Corda, Alcaraz, and Musetti? You yeah. Mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a little more. Although I think Musetti went a pretty long way towards answering some questions mm-hmm. this season as well. 
ditto with Alcaraz. That forehand, it takes yeah. it. You're just like, okay, that. Yeah. I would like that one, please. Yeah, and um, I think that's sort of, sort of an exciting thing about a lot of these young guys is, um, you know, Lusecki and Alcaraz in particular, there's a lot of cool creative shot making that I've seen from them. Um, and it's not so much necessarily the, you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of tennis points will end, begin and end on comfortable terms. Um, and ultimately if I am looking for what will make a successful tennis player, I want one who can win in fairly conventional ways. Sure. <laughs> as exciting as it is to watch <laughs> yeah. the other stuff, but yeah. you know, it's always good to have. And, uh, I, I just think it, it will make for a very interesting next generation watching guys like we said, the, um, you know, with the one-hander and mm-hmm. all the apparent uh, variety he's got. My last take for you, is Carlos Alcaraz just a less, less handsome Cristiano Ronaldo? <laughs> like, think about it. The facial structures yeah. and, like, yeah, the very hair. very similar. Very similar. Um, I just can't wait to watch more of this guy. I feel yeah. like watch the first match that I'd watched was his first ATP win, which I believe was at 20... Was that 2020 even? Or was yeah. that 2019? Yeah. I, I think 20. Yeah. So, um, you know, definitely a guy who's ahead of schedule. Um, definitely on that kind of prodigy track. But, um, no, I, I would love to see a lot more, more of him. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Again, need more data points, but everything we've seen so far, when you're in that category of six names, the youngest people to do anything in the challenger uh, realm, like if your worst case scenario is Richard Gasquet as a comp, yeah. you're like, oh, pretty good floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, I get to party in France. The nightclub's going to be great. All of these different <laughs> things. Uh, but uh, with all that said, again, I appreciate you being so kind with your time. I mentioned at the start, whether it's Defector Media, whether it's every Friday at Racket Magazine, I feel like if people want to go dig up your old Deadspin articles, they probably still can as well. There's they sure some good can. Ones. Yeah, there's some good ones in there. But what do you have in the queue? Again, where can everyone find your work? Um, yeah, I'm going to be working on a, a piece on Djokovic, hopefully in time for the U.S. Open. Um, so more on that soon. But uh, in the meantime, I'll probably just be picking and choosing what's what's been exciting. Um, I always love this, the lead-up to the Open. Uh, I love the summer hardcore, so... Looking forward to just watching along with everyone else and uh, seeing which of these names and uh, vague predictions we've made actually pan out. <laughs> uh, so you going to get on the road at all? Uh, hopefully, yeah. I, City Open, I definitely want to make it to if I can. The field looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then definitely we'll be at the U.S. Open. I am hoping to go to the City Open as well. I feel like a lot of yeah. us here in the States have circled that one as yeah, like, the first good. one back. Um but no, I, again, sincerely, I'm not just blowing smoke um, when I say I read everything you write. I really do, and I think all tennis fans should as well. It's rare, I know. I feel like we're both relatively similar in age. You were the first writer, you know, Ben's Ben, and so I don't <laughs> count him. Uh, but you were the first writer. It's like he talks about tennis the way I talk about tennis. And so sincerely, I know there are a lot of tennis fans who feel similarly. So thank you for all you do to thank promote you. the sport. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for putting up with my nonsense on today's podcast. And, of course, uh, you are always welcome back on the show at any time. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, I do, I do think one big goal I have in writing is for us, for me to have kind of conversations on the page that, you know, fans have in person so i'm glad uh that that's coming through and this was a lot of fun 
Awesome. Well, again, take care, be safe, be healthy. We will talk to you again soon. All right. See ya. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Racket Magazine's Gary Nathan. Again, every Friday, Racket Magazine, one of my favorite columns that comes out each and every week in the tennis media world. If you are not reading it already, you sincerely should. And again, he mentioned it at the end. I am hoping to have Gary back on the podcast at least once a month because sincerely, I just think his perspective on the game very different from many others who watch and follow the sport closely. And again, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat of course, we are trying our best here at Crack Rackets to preview all aspects of the upcoming hard court summer. If you want to hear the WTA equivalent of today's conversation, was broken up into a two-part podcast that aired last week with our friend David Kane. Of course, Jeff Sackman joined me to talk all things analytics here in 2021. That was on Friday. We've got some really fun conversations talking American tennis with David Gertler, talking Olympics with Ben Rothenberg, some more fun as well, all down the pipeline so again be on the lookout for all of that content on our website crackrackets.com like rate subscribe review to this podcast the mini break podcast cracked interviews podcast and all of our cr shows if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at cracked rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot pod a shout out as always to our super producers max Fligner and daniel Wasta for the of an editing job they do day in day out a shout out as well to our friends at turn tennis remember contact sales at unique sports.com or call 800-554-3707 with all of that said for our wonderful guest gary nathan our super producers fleener and westoff our friends at turn of tennis and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 